this week we'll talk about responsible and explainable AI. And we have a special guest today, Suprit. Suprit is an assistant VP in data strategy at Morgan Stanley. Yeah, so she's also the founder of Databus. So you'll probably tell us a bit about what it is. She's a writer, she's a speaker, and she loves communicating what she knows on different platforms. So it's my pleasure to have you today. Hi. Hello, thank you for having me on the show. So before we go into our main topic of explainable and responsible AI, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Sure. So in 2017, I came to stay to pursue my master. I'm originally from India, the capital city. I started my master's of business and science, combination of MBA and MS in data science, a very unique degree. And then I started my career in Jan 2019 as a data science consultant. I was a data science and technology consultant for three years before I decided to switch gears a little bit and be more involved in the data strategy as I realized the importance of that in my early career years. After these few years of chatting with so many ambitious people who want to pivot in this technology and data science, I realized that there was something that I could do out there, help everyone, and hence I started the community, DataBuzz, to mentor people who want to pivot in this field. I've had a very unique career journey, I would say, from a non-engineering background, pivoting in this field, and that's what's the goal of DataBuzz. Well, that's interesting. We will probably spend a bit more time about that. I'm quite curious to know more about this. I'm also interested in your title. So your title is Assistant VP in Data Strategy. So I'm really curious, what does it mean? What do you do in your day-to-day job? Yeah, of course. So Morgan Stanley is definitely a big firm. We have different divisions. We have asset management, investment banking, wealth management. I'm in the analytics and data team for wealth management and data strategy and products. Our team basically owns different AI-driven products. We are the product owners, ensuring that the data strategy is streamlined, introducing new data ideas into the streams, and obviously creating different AI products, helping launch different AI products in Morgan Stanley. So yeah, we work very closely with data science Mm -hmm. to make everything happen. So you're more on analytical side of uh, the data? Product and the analytical side. So yeah, the topic today is responsible. AI? So what is responsible AI? So how can AI be responsible? Yeah, definitely, you know, it's a a very interesting field and it's a very budding field, I would say. So I've been in this regulated environment. I was in healthcare and I'm in finance for three plus years now. So I have definitely appreciated our responsible AI and trustworthy AI. And as the name suggests, it's all about developing algorithms and process so that you can empower your employee and end users or customers, right? So there have been numerous, I would say, studies out there which say that your consumers and customers, if they trust you with the outcome, they'll invest in you. It's as simple as that. So it's basically a collaborative way of working with other stakeholders, with keeping your end users informed and be able to integrate everyone's feedback, ultimately making this a very collaborative process. What does it actually mean? So does it mean that if they trust us, then we are kind of responsible because we don't want to violate this trust rule? What does it mean to be responsible here? Like we're responsible for the decision that our machine learning and AI systems make, right? So we don't want to lose this trust that people put in us, right? Exactly, exactly. And you basically have the right tools in place, right? So that all your stakeholders and users are feeling confident about the decision. So if anyone asks you, like, how did you arrive at this outcome? You have some tool. You have something to show them. Okay, this is the step. This is what uh, my algorithm followed. And we were able to derive at this decision. So I would say it's a set of tools and frameworks to empower you. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to think of an example. I don't know, maybe can you use some example from your work or maybe something that you can talk about that where this is important. So you said that we want to explain, right? So we want to feel confident in these predictions. So we want to explain how they happen. So we have this trust. So can you give an, an example? Of course, of course. So a few months back, 
an article that came out and that there was a husband and a wife both of them were eligible for a credit card with the same limit but the wife ended up receiving a lower limit than the husband and it was a big lawsuit against the company because she felt that somewhere ai was biased towards her just because she was a female and maybe the algorithm ultimately assumed that she had a lower income and gave her a lower limit credit card so this is where like if you have the process in place you are able to justify why wife got that limit and why the husband got a certain limit and even before that you are able to check did your data actually have bias in it and you can curb that so that you can produce a fair decision so there are two sides of the coin i would say first is your data side definitely which you have to check in terms of accuracy and fairness and then is your model predictions because if your data is biased no way that you're going to get unbiased predictions hmm. well, what is the relationship between uh, responsible ai and explainable ai because from what i i hear now yeah. is if we want to feel confident in the predictions we need to be able to explain them so does it mean that responsible ai is explainable ai or what's the connection there yeah so definitely i will deep dive into explainable ai and talk more about that so explainable ai is more like a post mortem report <laughs> i would say an incident has happened and now okay what do you need to do okay let's build like a simple algorithm justify the decision responsible ai is more like okay we have these frameworks in place and your starting point or whenever you are building an algorithm a project you have all of these tools and frameworks in mind right so this is more of so that the incident doesn't happen anymore mm-hmm. we have these tools and processes in place so it's more of mindset and explainable ai just gives you the authority or i would say the tools to build those frameworks right and i, I can dive into you know some of the practical techniques that you can use to implement explainable ai in your day to day project Okay so what you are saying is we should try to prevent these situations like the example when husband and wife got different credit proposals right different loans so ideally we should not let this even happen so we should catch all the bias we have in our data and try to mitigate it before we train our I don't know credit scoring system right and then when the credit scoring system is live then we should be able to justify so if the wife in this case comes to the financial institution and asks why did you give me lower loan yeah the bank would just say okay this this and this other reasons but if we don't have that then we have a problem right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you mentioned tools you mentioned fr- frameworks so how do we do this yeah so this is where i you know i think it's the right point where i can explain some of the explainable ai techniques right so it's a, what is explainable ai essentially it's a framework that can be integrated with your existing machine learning model so that you can understand the output of your ai or ml algorithms right and as i said this is not only used to explain the results behind a machine learning algorithm but you can use it to receive feedback so that you can retrain your model you can use it to detect bias in your data so it's called the glass box approach right as they say oh ai machine learning is a black box but here it's giving you transparency and it's called the glass box glass box i heard white box but then i was always thinking wondering like <laughs> is white really transparent <laughs> is as intransparent as uh, black right glass box makes much more sense <laughs> yeah so i will start with the data level right like first when we talk about the data level we talk about the fairness and bias testing there you have a few data quality checks that i feel every data scientist does uh, they do some sort of exploratory analysis uh, dig into the data see what they have there as well right like we can do a few checks one of them is skewness you could check how your data looks like and it could be that you are missing out on one population over the other if your data is highly skewed right and other could be missing data if you have too much missing data it's important to analyze uh, what are you missing and you might be able to talk to business stakeholders and get a sense like are we missing out on an entire population 
right? So these are like some simple checks that can be done on the data side to, to ensure that your data is not biased and you're covering a wide array of population. So this is one of them, right? And then on the model side, you have different techniques, but I'm just going to pause to see if there are any questions or any comments on the data side. Well, so there is a question, what tools do we use to check if there is any bias in data? And I think this is related to what you were talking about. So this is before we train a model, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you talked uh, about EDA, exploratory data analysis. You talked about skewness analysis, missing data. Are there any particular tools and techniques that we can use for checking this? You know, this is more on the EDA side, right? You are not doing anything. You're just exploring the data, honestly. Mm -hmm. You're just analyzing what's out there, what does my input look like? And then when you actually dig deep into this, yeah, I know it's, it's kind of more of like a conscious check plus a technical check. But yeah, here, this is where you'll see, right? What is happening exactly? And then I would also say that there's this bias checks, right? That you can do. Now bias, it's a very subjective term, right? Bias can occur in a lot of shapes and forms. There's a book called Trustworthy AI. I don't know how many of you have read where the author talks about different types of bias. And, you know, she says that it can be like a gambler's fallacy, right? <laughs> which is that the probability of a random event, which is occurring in the future, is influenced by a past event, right? And that is what we assume when we are building AI models most of the time. Oh, that my history is the correct representation of my future. But that is not always true. And that's why you need that human touch to check for such biases in your data and in your model. Mm -hmm. So basically, as a human, as an analyst or as a data scientist, you need to get your data set from your database, CSV file, whatever, and just spend enough time trying to understand what's happening there. Yeah. Right? Should we watch out for anything particular? Like, let's say if we see columns like age and gender, should we already like think, okay, like red flag, should we do something about these columns or how does it usually look like? Yeah, I mean, I would actually say it depends, right? Because age and gender and those things are very PII information, sensitive information. Mm -hmm. Most of the organizations wouldn't even let you touch that, <laughs> those attributes, right? especially if you're in a regulated industry. So first of all, even have access to that kind of information to even make this judgment, I would say. But it would be other factors, you know, it could be the income of the person, it could be the other factors about that person of whatever you are doing that can lead you to make some, I would say, assumptions, predictions, decisions, and which you check back with your business stakeholders to see if they're even valid or some subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you think these financial institutions we talked about, banks, they don't have access to age and gender? It depends, right? Like which organization are we talking about? Everyone works in a different way. It's kind of a recommendation, right? How you are handling that PII information. Like in pharma world, we never had access to all of this data. <laughs> so yeah, or even if we have it, you know, we wouldn't use it, like we mask it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but in pharma, I guess it's important, right? Because the way drugs work on people depends on their age and depends on gender, right? So yeah, there yeah. it is a justified use case, right? While in uh, building a credit risk profile, maybe less so, right? Maybe less. Again, and I don't like, think it's like a healthcare or a finance institution question. It's like a general industry thing. If yeah. in your use case, this type of data is not required, you wouldn't use sensitive information. Again, this is also responsibility, right? Like, because you're handling the data responsibly of a customer. So yeah, definitely. We, we do our due diligence, like in determining, do we even need this data in the first place? Mm -hmm. And how do we do this? So we talked about data checks, right? Yeah. To discuss this, should we go into the model checks to understand, like, do we even need this data? Exactly, exactly. So when you're kind of determining whatever use case you want to solve, you will have a detailed discussion with your product managers, business stakeholders, and that is where you will determine what data you need. And if it's sensitive information and if you can mask it out, that is where it will get out of your data pipeline for your AI model. So you can use other data sets. Well, would it be wise to completely just throw away gender data? Let's say if it's 
you know they can actually give you those alarms i would say and then you can go there and investigate if there is an alarm and you feel that an investigation is needed so most of this can be automated mm-hmm. so what about this model part yes so for model also i think a few years back we didn't have as many open source technologies but now we have a lot of those right like google ibm everyone has come it's such good open source technologies that can easily be fetched into your python pipeline or your pyspark whichever tool you are using there is a what if tool by google it's almost an interactive tool where you can understand the data it gives an interface of the dashboard so you can basically like fetch in all your parameters see what's the working behind your machine learning model especially if you're using a tensorflow which is again by google so what if tool is a great tool to use then we have other tools as well like we have skater it's an open source python library that was again designed so that you can see some of the model functioning that is another tool that kind of helps you to see the functioning behind your machine learning model now the trick is obviously how you will integrate in your use case will again depend on what you are trying to achieve right you might not find all of these tools which can be integrated with your use case so there it's more of a exploration again and then there's another one aix 360 by ibm and that is another amazing open source toolkit uh, which you can use to comprehend your predictions and your machine learning model so i'm just trying to understand so what if to me if i understood it correctly you can see this as another exploratory data analysis tool but smarter than the usual analytics right so it's smarter than just counting you know missing values yeah. like what kind of questions you can ask us what if i remove this column or what if i cut this data or what kind of what if questions can you ask again right is it's more like if you want to also see like the importance of some of the features if you want to see okay what if i remove this feature again how will my model get impacted if you just want to see how your data looks like as i said like skewness and everything it will easily allow you to do a plot and that will be very dynamic you can do it over time over month over years whatever use case you have in hand so all of those things right and if you were using tensor flow then how did you arrive at that prediction right what if you remove the feature how will it impact your model how will it impact your accuracy so all of those things and then the scatter like does it do something similar to that it's similar but it's it's not just a tensor more broad mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more on other models if you want to use and it's basically you know you can do it based on your complete data set so it's always explainable ai uh, whenever you are doing a, you're using any framework right like the idea of that is that if i were to apply this on a larger data set how will the impact look like right but whenever you build a explainable ai technique you basically take a small data set and that obviously there's an assumption that this is a true representation of my bigger data set and then you build around that so skater will facilitate some of those techniques for you mm-hmm. And then the last one you mentioned is AIX 360 from IBM, right? My understanding was that it's used for interpreting the output, the predictions of the models or not only. And actually all of these can be used, right? For that. I mean ultimately you're using all of this if you're not using TensorFlow, if you're using other open source packages, they, they'll help you facilitate that. Mhm. I've heard about tools like Lime and Shapely values and are yeah, these yeah. somehow related to that too so i mean these are the ones that i just spoke about are more of open source python packages i would say now if you actually want to build 
things, right? Like from scratch, the way you'll actually build any algorithm. So that's where kind of Lime comes into play. So Lime is also, I would say it's a, it's a combination of different things, right? Like you can do a linear regression model or you can do a decision tree model. And that is basically you're building a Lime model. Actually, you might be doing a neural network model, but now you just want to be able to interpret that. So you, again, take a small data set and build a decision tree on that to come close to what the interpretations would look like so that you're able to explain it to your stakeholders. So yes, Lime mm -hmm. is very similar to that. So let's say there are some features that we shouldn't use because they are PII, personally identifiable information, like gender, age. But in some cases, I kind of wish we could use them. So for example, in, in advertisement, maybe there is a product that would be more appealing to females than males. Mm. If I decide to be responsible and trust for then I should remove this feature, right? Mm -hmm. But I know that this feature is actually important if I want to be profitable. And then I have a dilemma, right? So do I want to be profitable? Do I want to make money? Mm. Or do I want to be responsible and, uh, you know, remove bias from data? Mm. <laughs> like, do I want to get rich exploiting these biases or not? Right. So how can we still be profitable, but without exploiting all these biases? Yeah. You know, all these decisions are not by one person and definitely they are not by data science practitioners. And that is what responsible AI is, right? It, it's a very collaborative process. That's why they say it, because when you kind of have 10 different people in a room discussing such use cases and having 10 different perspectives, I would say you'll be able to meet halfway, right? And that is where you'll be able to decide the priorities of what you really want to do and how you can achieve it. And that is exactly what we aim to do. It's beyond these techniques <laughs> that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. But then I guess for this one, let's say if there are 10 people who has different perspective, they should be different people, right? So it's not like all data scientists, all white males, right? Exactly. So then they probably would think, okay, like uh, there's nothing wrong in using gender, let's just use it, right? No, 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 definitely. I meant like different representation from different mm -hmm. groups because data scientists think differently, right? And project managers will think differently. Now you add compliance people, they'll think mm -hmm. <laughs> differently. So that's what, and that is why like launching an AI product and doing all of this responsibly, it's a journey. Yeah, because uh, the reason I mentioned this is in many courses and also the courses we do at Data Talks Club, right. there are data sets, there are some problems where we do actually use age and gender. Yeah, I think actually in the course we have right now, there are two projects in which we use age and gender, right? And then like you might think as a data scientist, oh, there's nothing wrong, right? So yeah. what to talk about here? Well, let's just use this, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we would never know. Like for us, it's like, it's all about features. So this is important mm -hmm. because that's what our algorithm is saying. Okay, we don't really think in that direction. So yeah, but yeah, it, it's important. <laughs> mm -hmm. What kind of people we need to have in this room to be able to have this fruitful discussion. So you said uh, we need to have perhaps data scientists, analysts, and people from compliance. Who else we should your have? SMEs, your subject matter experts who understand the data better and your senior leadership, right, ultimately as well. So obviously it's, it's not that it's going to be, it's easy. And <laughs> you'll, you know, you again get an answer in one meeting and, oh yeah, we, we you know, decide to come. At the conclusion, I think, at that time, you'll be thinking about some innovative workarounds, right? Okay, let's use this one feature over this feature and let's see how it performs. Let's drop this feature. But at the end of the day, it's possible that the use case that you have in hand, like gender is one of the most important feature, right? And then, then again, it's a company's decision to make. Mm -hmm. Like who is making this decision? It is senior leadership? Again, collaboratively. But then if everyone is responsible, then nobody is. Right? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I think those discussions are very productive. I and mean, obviously everyone's responsible, but at the same time, you're in a business and you want to make money. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. Then at the end, uh, what happens, I guess you come up with some sort of terms of service and then you say, okay, this is the data we collect gender. And if you don't agree with this, you don't use the app or how does it usually work? I think the way we do those declarations and the way we sign all the terms and agreements, you know, where somewhere 
the customer kind of might give you the consent that, okay, yeah, just you know, use my data. And some customers might not give you the consent. So that's also a very mm-hmm. important component. But I'm still thinking about that example where the wife and the husband, perhaps both of them gave consent to using their gender information. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, this is what happened. So the company still got sued, right? Even though they had probably paperwork in place. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like, you know, obviously I read it in a newspaper, so I don't know you know, whether the company was able to justify that decision or not, because we obviously get the news, you know, it's from a third party, right? So you don't really know the facts, but that's what kind of it made me think that was it able to justify, right? Like if, if the consumer is questioning you, are you able to justify, okay, what led to this difference in decision making? And can you say that it was beyond gender? Can you say it was not biased, mm-hmm. right? That you can only say if you've already done your due diligence before. Mm-hmm. See that there's no bias in your data set. And if you found out that there is actually bias in your data set and uh, somebody's already suing you, <laughs> that's too late, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> see. Yeah, so what we should have is, from my understanding, So we should analyze our data, right? So we should have a human who actually goes through the data set. Some things could be automated, right? But then at the end, a human should actually go through this and do some analytics, right? Then after that, there are techniques that can automate this, like all these what-if tools and similar, like Skateria, like all these other tools. So that should be used by, I guess, analysts and data scientists to make sure that this actually doesn't happen. And then also at the end, we want to be profitable, but at the same time, we want to be trustworthy and responsible. So then we should have this meeting with people from compliance, from data analytics, from uh, subject matter experts, from senior leadership who get together and discuss the case. Am I missing anything? No, no. And I think we also kind of highlighted the challenges on the way, right? Like this is one of the challenges, as you said, like profitability versus being responsible. And then we have accuracy versus interpretability because for all of your complex models, you still might not be able to make an explainable AI model, right? So all of those are, I feel like, still the challenges and pitfalls of explainable AI and responsibility. Yeah, and actually we have a question from Shivam. That is exactly about that. So the question is how to manage the trade-off between model complexity and explainability, because the complex models do not necessarily have good explainability. So how do we manage that? Exactly. Yeah. And that's, again, as I said, like that's kind of one of the challenges. And in some of the use cases, and I think it's it's like a trade-off, right? Like as data scientists, we face other trade-offs. Like, you know, we have this bias versus variance trade-off. So this is one of those things where you need to, again, analyze what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to target, what is your end goal, what do you want to achieve, what does your business stakeholders want to achieve, and if we were to take a step back on accuracy, will that help us in long term, right? Like, will our consumers trust in us more? And at the end of the day, you're also trying to build a brand. It might be a bank or it might be a healthcare or whatever, right? You want people to indulge with you in some form or another. So yeah, it's one of those crossroads. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I guess if you make a decision to prefer accuracy versus explainability, you should be prepared that eventually, like somebody from senior management, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg, will have to talk in front of Congress and explain things, right? (laughs) If you don't want this to happen, then maybe uh, you don't. hope this doesn't happen, but yes. And it's, it's not that every time you will be choosing like, okay, let me be, make the most interpretable models, right? Every time you are encounter a use case, your decision-making will be different. And that's why it's important to not make all of these decisions at Solace, <laughs> involve others. Yeah, because I imagine that if you, let's say, use linear or logistic regression for everything, then it will be like not so biased, very explainable, but then accuracy could suffer, right? But then if you go with deep learning, then it's the other, like it's the opposite, the other side of the spectrum, then you have little explainability but a lot of accuracy what i understand is like you just need to keep the long-term goal in mind of the company and ask ourselves like are we ready to sacrifice a bit of profit 
like, are we ready to sacrifice our image with some extra profit? Yeah. Right. If people start talking bad about us, right? Yeah. Or we're an evil corporation, it's fine to, you know, <laughs> store all the data about you and then sell it to others. Yeah. <laughs> Not pointing fingers. <laughs> there is a question from Raquel. Is what does you need a human touch mean? I think this is related to our discussion that the first step is always like human analyzing the data. And then the question goes on is, does this mean that responsible AI and checkpoints and alarms cannot be automated? So maybe we can think of what can be automated and what cannot. Right. Yeah. As I said, right, like all your DQ checks and, you know, you can be so creative. You can write pieces of codes and you can do all the checks on the world. But at the end of the day, you just cannot be like, oh, my DQ checks, you know, they passed. I don't really need to look at it and see what's happening. As your data keeps evolving, your tools and even all your production models need to get evolved, right? And often as data science, you hear, oh, we are having drift in our model. And drift can also be in this form, right? It can be in form of bias as well. You didn't have biased data before. Now you have the biased data. So if you can build adoptable techniques, definitely do that. But at the end of the day, there has to be someone who can go in, analyze all of those and you don't always have to go row by row, <laughs> but in a cumulative fashion, see what's happening with your data and your model performance. So, yeah, that's what I mean by human touch. But at the end of the day, it's a human who's going to write the code as well <laughs> to make that mm -hmm. happen. So, mm -hmm. so human automates it, right? Yeah. So we're automated, but at the end, it's the human who is doing the automation, right? Exactly. And then they need to put some thoughts in this process, not just blindly take a tool from, I don't know, Google or what company and just put it there and forget about this, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And to your point about drift that we should monitor for bias, now there is a comment. So for example, a comment from Abhishek. So if Data Talks Club model sees more males attending the events, females will not get recommended the event. Exactly. And this can introduce a feedback loop that next time the model will recommend the events only to males, right? And we will ignore females. And then this is something like, mm, it happens gradually. So at the beginning, maybe it's equal, but then there is more and more and more and more feedback loop. And then at the end, it's, it's only males attending the events, right? Yeah. So are there tools that can help detect this kind of drift that, at least kind of bias that gets into your model, into your data because of these feedback loops? Yeah, so I feel like if your model is in production, you are already using some sort of tool to monitor your model's performance. But you might just be measuring your performance in terms of accuracy. Now, you also mm -hmm. need to build some sort of monitoring in terms of the population samples. If it's a male or a female, if you already have a unique identifier in your data set, how is my population drifting? So basically all the DQ checks that you did at the first, you know, during your input phase, you need to redo them even after every time, you know, you maybe launch a version of the product or every time you're monitoring your product. So it's basically about integrating those two pieces, right? And I don't think there's like one tool that will be able to solve your problem. I feel like it will vary from your problem to problem and then you'll be, get creative building. But basic statistics, I think all of us can do, right? Like mean, median, mode. <laughs> like basic statistics to find out, okay, what is the mean of my data? Like how is my population? Mm -hmm. What the sample size looks like? So all of those will also give you at least a purview of what's happening. And then you can deep dive. Yeah, because I imagine if we only monitor for accuracy, then in this example of this feedback loop, the model will maybe become 100% accurate. Right? And again, overfitting you in that alarm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, okay, from this model performance point of view, it's kind of doing well, right? So like everyone who is coming, enjoy the event. But then we're, maybe it has like high precision, but the recall is bad, right? So we are missing out on other people who might enjoy it. But simply because the model overfit, they don't get to see this in the recommendation feed. And then the, a way to monitor this is checking these basic stats, like, I don't know, looking at some demographic information. Demographic information, yes, yes. And 
the way you'll actually do it for a drift also there are these ks tools and i mean there are a lot of tools in the market even aws if you're using you know in, in your notebook instance you have these tools where you can include all these basic statistics so whatever is the identifier for you and that will again vary for your data so you do need to see how that is performing over time the way you'll monitor the accuracy you can even monitor your data and uh, yeah so there is a similar probably we covered uh, so there's another question from raquel is if we're using data to train our models and identify our checkpoints and alarm how is the data protected from human bias and i think we answered that correct me if i'm wrong so we answered it by saying that we should monitor this demographic information right so like we should make a population sample or maybe if we're not predicting i don't know for people maybe there are some other indicators that we can monitor so probably various case by case but we should have a metric that probably indicates some sort of diversity yeah. in the sample and again like that human touch part comes in like when someone will be analyzing those cumulative statistics and look at that data they will be able to see that if there's a pattern the next time they're monitoring it easily be able to see it and the other thing that's also important is to check the source of your data right like sometimes the source that you are doing i know that in some of the use cases uh, some of the organizations i was reading somewhere they collect all of these feedback from humans basically they do these surveys and then they collect that data and they do it over a larger period of time and then use that data to build the model now a survey data like what did your population look like right like from that data only you can start detecting the bias the way you're even collecting the data can be questionable <laughs> so check the source as well i'm just curious how did you become interested in this topic like was it something you studied and then you became fascinated or is something through practice that you realized that this is a super important topic or how did it happen for you yeah i mean it just happened because <laughs> i was in two of the most regulated industries and right everything is high alarming you know you have to take every step in a very thoughtful way because it impacts the lives of people and it can lead to lawsuits easily mm -hmm. <laughs> i would say so that is where it was kind of my observation and then my reading that how important it is to be cautious and responsible and how companies are evolving and and that's why it became a topic of my interest <laughs> i would say mm -hmm. so for areas like finance i guess insurance healthcare this is especially important right exactly and actually anywhere where you are dealing with like sensitive consumer information which is being labeled as pii it kind of becomes important but now i would say that it's spanning out to all the industries because you know as people get more conscious of what they are getting and people are very brand conscious for everything even for the clothes we buy we are like okay how are they treating animals and what are they doing and so it's just people are becoming more brand conscious now mm -hmm. speaking again of age and gender like if you think about this they are not really pii in the sense mm -hmm. that if i tell you that this person is a female who is 35 or like who is between 30 and 40 mm -hmm. you will not be able to locate to find where this person lives right so mm -hmm. in this sense it's not really personal identifiable information yeah it's, it's again subjective right mm -hmm. i don't know if you've heard about there's a tool i think it was by amazon they created this hr tool to like screen the applicants now there all of this information is easily available because on the resume people will write about their at least their date of birth and everything yeah they shouldn't probably yeah <laughs> <laughs> they kind of observe right that for all the physically demanding jobs like the algorithm was just selecting males like it was ignoring females again the bias right because data was so biased <laughs> the historical data was all male so it assumed so again right in some of such use cases you require all of those things because age is an appropriate factor there gender might be an appropriate factor there did amazon solve this problem what did they do so it was a tool that was developed by them but then it was being used by other ceos so again the book that i was referring to trustworthy ai and that is where she kind of talks about this dilemma of a ceo who's trying to select candidates uh, for this role mm -hmm. and how they detected it is because 
she was like, why are you only giving me males to interview, right? Like, where are females? Like, for past five months, you haven't got a female candidate. So again, the human touch, the conscious, someone was able to question the decisions and they were able to see how the model is biased. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of like an ATS tracker that they use, but yeah. So I'm not sure if it was, again, don't quote me on this, if it was by Amazon or some other company. <laughs> it's very sad. Okay. I've seen a tool mentioned something like fair learn so you talked about this aif 360 right and yeah. then the abhishek mentions another tool fair learn do you know what this tool is probably haven't used but i'll check it out what is it fair learn i guess it's like scikit learn but instead of scikit it's fair oh okay yeah nice. probably something similar to scikit learn at least the name suggests that it's probably something for fairness yeah like since we talk about fairness, I think we spent quite a lot of time talking about fairness. Yeah. Like how is this related to you know reliable machine learning? Does a reliable model have always be fair? And the other way around, like if a model is fair, is it always reliable? Yeah, that's a kind of a very thoughtful question, right? Like do all my models need to be fair? Comes down to what is the use case that you're trying to solve. If I'm trying to send someone personalized recommendations. Do I want to exclude a population? Excluding a population also kind of has some effects, right? Because you might be excluding, again, some of the, your potential customers that are, were ready to engage with you. But just because your model was not fair enough, you just secluded a population and you secluded some potential customers. So it's about that. The other thing is, again, it's, it's also about the happiness of your users, <laughs> right? Like, again, in the same family, there might be different people indulging with your product. One is receiving something, the other is not. Obviously, everyone's not going to put a lawsuit against you. But, you know, it's, it's unhappy customers. Some might, right? Some might. <laughs> so you don't want to risk that, right? Yeah, there is uh, Abhishek, who is writing a lot of comments, probably is also into this topic. So what uh, he wrote is that there is a cool paper titled What Would an Avenger Do? Do you know this paper? No, I haven't read that paper. I'm really curious what it is, but maybe we can check it after the exactly, podcast episode and then see uh, what is there. But there are people saying that this is a nice paper. The title is amazing. I hope it's not like, you know, this never going to give up uh, kind of you know, recrawling. <laughs> so, because uh, like I recently somebody sent me like a recrawl link and then I got. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we have uh, quite uh, a few questions, so maybe we can cover them too. Mm. So do you know if there are any synthetic indicators for bias in data similar to RMSE that is an indicator of accuracy for models? Like, if, is there a number that can just tell us, hey, your model seems to be biased, uh, go check it? I mean, I can tell you a number, but I feel like even if I was working on 10 use cases, that number will be different for all the 10 use cases. <laughs> It'll so depend because you're obviously not using one data set to build the model. You're probably using 15, especially if you're building a production AI model. So I don't think that there's any number. Or, there can be baselines that you can you know, set based on your company's data. Okay, if it goes beyond this baseline, it's an alarm, right? Based on what you observe over time. But I don't think you can set up a static number. Again, you might be getting into the same situation. Mm -hmm. So then you still need to, to have this human touch, right? Like a person needs to say, hey, why are, are you bringing me all the male candidates where are <laughs> females, right? So somebody still needs to raise this question and say, hey, what's going on, right? It's not possible to remove the human touch at all, right? Like the human has to be in this process always. I mean, we don't know where technology is heading to. Yeah. But, but right now, <laughs> there is another point that in the age of AutoML, mm -hmm. like when you just get a data, you throw in in the black box and then it gives back like a good model and then yeah. you just can go and use it when it becomes so simple to train a model, even for people who are maybe not data scientists. Right. Right. So you can just go and train a model. How can we still be cautious about this and not completely put a lot of trust in the model? Yeah, but again, I feel like even interpretability and you know, all these explainable AI tools, I mean, that might not be a priority of everyone, right? It's a priority of some industries. So again, 
what's your company's goal right you might be just fine with developing one of the most wonderful and accurate ai algorithm and you know just might be happy with that you might not care about interpretability and that's where it comes like this versus that so yeah it's a answer that you have to do but i feel even in auto ml yeah you are giving your input data but you still have some power over the data you can still explore that and see what's there <laughs> before blindly just inserting it in the algorithm Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about the data bus community? How did you start? Yeah, of course. So data bus, as I said, like I'm from a non-computer science background and I have had some kind of unique challenges to get into this field, being from a non-coding background, being able to justify that I can be a data scientist and exploring other realms of data science because for people it might be like oh there's a data scientist no there's a data strategist there's a ai consultant there's an ml ops engineer and there's so many things you can do with your unique skill set and especially if you are pivoting from a business and kind of like a business plus a science field there is something unique that you have to offer so data buzz basically kind of its goal is to mentor those people engage those people and also there's so much to learn So I am an avid reader. So whenever I see something cool, like I try to post it on my page so that my community can benefit, or any cool resource that will help you upskill is posted on my LinkedIn page. So you can follow that, and I also provide one-on-one consultations for free, and I connect you with my large network of people that I have from the past five years. You know, they can help you to pivot where you would like to pivot. You've been doing this for five years. That's that's amazing. I mean, I was doing it unofficially for you know a lot mm-hmm. of years, but now I started this community in the starting of this year because I felt okay. Now I can you know officially <laughs> do this. So you said that uh, it's not just data scientists. There are so many data roles. Like I also get quite often requests like, okay, I'm doing X. How can I become a data scientist? Yeah. And this X usually varies from I don't know baristas to software engineers. Yeah. What you need to explain to people is it's not just data science, right? And my question is, like, what is out there in addition to data? You mentioned a few roles, but what are the, the typical roles that people can look at? I think first of all, the question to ask is like, what is my skill set and what do I want to do mm-hmm. with it? Right? Like, do you actually want to be building models? Some people are not into research, so they, these days they're becoming machine learning engineers, or they're called research scientists or applied scientists in the tech world. You know, who actually research on the algorithm. Some people are interested in oh, the aftermath of my productionalizing the model, the ML ops engineer. So those might be software developers who now want to pivot in the ML field, or DevOps engineers who want to pivot. Now the other are who want to relate the business. to the ai these are the ai consultants who actually search all of these ai use cases and then pitch clients and here you typically have like a consulting i would say relationship with your partners and then you have these data analysts you have business analysts even those are kind of a data scientist because now you're doing all the project management and you're doing the analytics and reporting for your data science results and even before the data science results and then definitely have data strategists <laughs> you know who are strategizing on what data you need all of these so yes and for example a project manager somebody who works as a project manager in i don't know some traditional industry i don't know like right. manufacturing or anything so how can they select what works for them like it doesn't have to be project manager but usually every person has unique skills right, right. Like how do you understand if all you know is that the the data scientist is like the sexiest job and you might not know about like you know, others? No, I mean that's a tough question, right? Like even when I was trying to decide my good, I think I would have spoken to like hundred plus people. I did coffee chats with people from different industries, different domains, and tried to explore like what do they actually do. You just cannot read the job description and know okay this is where I fit. <laughs> so I feel like all these net. Events, conferences, coffee chats, and you know, engaging in such communities will probably lead you where you want to go. And from all these roles, do everyone need to know and care about responsible AI and explainable AI? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I feel like all of these 
you know bring something unique to the table and again if it does care about you you do need to add that touch but it will again depend from an organization to you might be in a startup who might say oh no just <laughs> you know care about the profit just build me a most profitable ai algorithm but then i as a data scientist i probably have some moral duty to yeah. tell to the cto hey wait a minute this is not how it's done right so you should think about yeah. reputation that also depends where you are in the stage of your career right are you an influencer are you a decision maker in the decision making process or are you just the person who executes stuff you know whatever is told to you if someone's actually starting in the data science domain it might be hard for them to convince people what needs to be mm. but once you've established yourself then it is your moral responsibility you've been in the industry for three four mm. years you do everything responsibly but probably at least everyone who gets in the data world should uh, perhaps study ethics or something like this i think this is such a budding field that so many people are this even though i don't build explainable ai models but i feel like as a person again as an ethical person i feel it's my responsibility to understand what i'm doing and how i'm doing it mm -hmm. actually at work so if i want to have access to data and i as a data scientist have to have access to data right so i need yeah. to go through a special training and this training tells me what is good and what is not and i think more and more companies are actually implementing this yeah. i mean of course i can use my common sense and then uh, when i like there are quizzes and when i need to answer these quizzes most of the time i just use my common sense and yeah. more often than not the answer is correct but it's uh, still a good idea to tell people that you know what this is how it's possible to do wrong with data yeah probably this is like every all the data people should do this sort of thing Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think even when you join a firm, right? Like you go through some training. Uh, what do you do in case of emergency? And I feel like this is kind of one of the things, right? Like when you have such data, how do you deal with this and become a responsible individual? Maybe before we wrap up, is there anything you want to mention that maybe you forgot? I just want to thank everyone for joining and for being so interactive i would say and if there was any question that was not answered if there's something personally you would like to discuss i'm very active on linkedin do connect with me there you can even look into the database page and all the views and everything that i spoke about today was my opinion and had nothing to do with morgan stanley <laughs> so <laughs> that was <clear. laughs> that was an important part to mention right <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks for joining us also thank you everyone for joining us too for being active for asking all these questions uh, there was a very lovely discussion and lively in uh, live chat so thanks for doing that and i wish everyone a great weekend yeah thank you goodbye everyone <laughs> <laughs>